Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and my co-hosts today are Marsha Brownlee. Marsha, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. And then I've got Charlie on my back, and I'm wiggling a bunch to try to keep her happy, so I might sound a little out of breath today. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I've got nobody doing that for me over here. (laughs) Nobody's pulling that co-host comfort duty. It's a good workout. It's a good workout regimen. Yeah, I bet. Hi, so our guest, <laughs> our guest today is Linda White of Trapper Girl Inc. How are you, Linda? I'm good. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Just bouncing, al- bouncing along over here. Yeah. So we're going to start off with a question we ask a lot of the folks on this podcast, and I am anticipating your answer being rather interesting. Well, can you tell us what's in your freezer? You know, it's funny because uh you sent over kind of like you know hey a, a couple of different things that you know we'd like to talk about and i and i saw that as the first one and i was like well i wonder which freezer they they want me to talk about because we have like six of them <laughs> so um which becomes a very uh a very big electric bill let me tell you mm-hmm. but um yeah so my, my my freezers are a little different than yours i mean we have your traditional freezer that you've got like your venison your bear you know um ducks all that in there and then the rest of our freezers have muskrats um we've got mice beaver carcasses um so yeah our freezers are a little bit different i'm i'm sure uh but just so everybody knows i'm not eating those (laughs) those are not ones that i'm that i'm eating that are in my freezer um we're a bait and lure maker as well so we use a lot of those animals the byproducts of animals that we trap you know, in baits and lures as well. So we've got tons of freezers full of different, different animals that we track like that. Well, our audience certainly wouldn't judge you for eating anything in your freezers. Um, <laughs> I might have questions about the mice. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Judgment, um, no, you, but question. Yeah, 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 well, I said that and I was a little worried. <laughs> well, that's true. And I also love that you led with like, oh, you know, just generic fare, like bear and venison and all of that in the first freezer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I just assume everybody who's listening, that would be your normal. So, you know, I didn't think that that was that was too out there. I guess, you know, you know, your audience kind of thing. Absolutely. It's probably I think it's probably not too out there on a good year anyway. Um, Can you tell us just a little bit about who you are? Yeah. So my name is Linda White. I am I am a city girl turned country. Um, That's the best way of kind of putting it. as a child, I I fished, but like, and I and I tried hunting once. Um, shot a squirrel, made my father bury it in the backyard. So I mean, that was like really the the big part of my outdoors. Um, and then I I grew up, met my husband. He was a country boy, and he was all about the outdoors. And he said, I I fish, trap, and hunt. And and quite honestly, um, you know, the fishing thing. Did it all my life, not a big deal. Hunting thing, you know, my dad had had figured out that that wasn't the best thing for me, but I wasn't against it. And quite honestly, I didn't know anything about trapping. I thought he was like taking care of mice, you know. Um, so I didn't really know much about that. But then 
um, once I finally like got with him and, and kind of got into the trapping thing, you know, uh, that, that became a, a big part of my life. So, so now I, I own a, a business. I co-own a business with my husband, Salmo Creek Bait and Lures. I also own Trapping Girl Inc. Um, and I am the pro staff uh, manager for Real Camo Girl. I write articles um, in the American Trapper, the she side, and that's all promoting women in trapping. I right now also have a, um, a group called Kids for Catches, which is helping kids within the trapping um, organizations really get into trapping. And um, I think that's I think that's pretty much it right now. But that kind of gives you a little bit about who I am in the outdoors right now and, and how I came from like pretty much knowing nothing to this. There's there's obviously quite a big gap in there of, of, of questions I'm sure you'll have for me. But that kind of gives you a little rundown of, of who I am. I have five questions. <laughs> Marcia, go. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so first, it, so uh, do you hunt or or is your primary um, sporting activity uh, trapping? Yeah, so I hunt now. Okay. Um, I, I realized that, uh, yeah, no, I found out that the whole squirrel thing was just because I was 12 and I had never yep. seen an animal shot before. Mm-hmm. So it was quite, I'm, I'm a very tender hearted person, um, which is funny because a lot of people think of trapping like this huge barbaric person or barbaric thing. So whenever um, they hear that I trap and they know me personally and like I cry at the drop of a hat, just so everybody knows that, um, they weren't, you know, like, oh, wow, you, you're a trapper. So yeah, I do hunt. Um, I actually, and and we'll talk about that later on the the hit and misses later that when you asked me that. Um, this year I was, I was really trying to go for a bear and um, that's a story and a half, but yep. So I do hunt fish and trap. trap, To trap a bear? No, to hunt a bear. Okay. Yeah, we, we, um, yeah, we can't, we can't trap in New York, um, but that is on my list of things. So I will be going to Maine someday and, and trapping a bear, but not there yet. Cool. Okay. So it's, you can do that in Maine. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. That's the only state that you can legally trap a bear. Yep. So I know how to trap a bear for research. How do you trap a bear if you're going to kill it and keep the pelt and like be, trap it like for trapping? Sorry, I'm, my words are not coming to me easily. So, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so it's kind of like the, a bear trap is kind of like a cylinder. So um, there's there's two parts to it. It's it's like this big long cylinder, and I don't know if, if you're familiar of what a, a dog proof trap looks like. Um, so which a dog dog proof trap is just like a little tiny trap, but but a bear trap is is like a bigger version of that. We'll put and then there's a cable that goes along the top part of it. So when the bear reaches their paw in, it triggers the bottom part of the there's like a little lever at the very bottom apart of that cylinder and it'll cause that cable to go around the bear's paw and that's how you trap it interesting got it yeah yeah marcia do you want to talk about your dog trap experience oh well yes but i have more 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 questions (laughs) 
keep going. Keep that. going. <laughs> so I'm yeah. always curious because I think um I I think there's like there's uh a bunch of different conversations that happen surrounding hunting and trapping, both internally and externally um within the hunting community. And it's like I feel like sometimes the conversation that happens between hunters and non-hunters about how you can um you know, uh, engage in, in something that takes something's life for uh, sport and for pleasure um, and for food and, and all of that. Uh, but I feel like the internal conversation in the hunting community is about that with trapping, right? Like there's that, that mm-hmm. second layer of conversation is about how, how do you connect with this um, emotionally and ethically and, and culturally. Uh, and, and I think it's really, not in it's interesting how unintuitive it can be to make that transfer of connection even with hunters and so i would love to hear um you know talking about the you mentioned that you drop you cry at the drop of a hat and and that you're an emotional person and so people are surprised um to hear that you trap and i i think uh i would love to hear and i think in, in a lot of ways that probably makes you the perfect messenger for helping people who who don't understand trapping to maybe see inside it or see it from a different perspective. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your connection to trapping? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's go back a little bit first. Um, When I first met my husband and he told me that he was a trapper, like I said, I I had no clue what trapping was. Um, I'm thinking like mice. Like that was really in my head and I'm like, okay, if that's your thing, a little weird, but whatever. Um, And I was living in the city at that point. I went home and told my best friend about this amazing man that I met, um, you know, how, how much I I really liked him and then told her about the whole hunting, fishing and trapping thing. And I literally watched every anti-propaganda that was out there. She had it all. Um, And and that literally made him look like this serial killer. Mm-hmm. And and that was the first thing. I, I couldn't believe, you know, um, there's this, this big idea that, you know, traps have teeth and and that traps break bones and, and all these things. So, like, watching all of that, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. This man is is not what I thought. But there was something in my head that said, you know, like, I didn't get that creep vibe from him you know like (laughs) I didn't think I was going to end up in the basement um you know so I was like all right well I'm a I'm a very um let's say diplomatic person you know I I feel that everybody has a right to explain themselves you know um so let's let's talk about it um and that was exactly how I approached it with him I said you know um trapping season was was soon upon us and I told him I said you know like I, I've seen from YouTube and everything else, you know, why I, I should be running the opposite direction. So why don't you show me why I, I shouldn't be, you know? And, um, he was, he was quite shocked at first, you know, like, like she wants to go out and see what this is all about. Um, you know, cause I lived in a townhouse. I was, I was your typical city girl. Um, he had to, I had to borrow a pair of his daughter's boots actually to, um, to go out. So I went out and the okay. entire time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was, I am not, it, and it's funny. Cause he'll even joke like you have come a long way, sweetheart. Um, 
but but yeah so we went out and um the entire time you know i was asking questions like of all the things that i had seen on these videos like well you know they don't they hurt the animal as soon as that trap goes off don't they hurt the animal he literally stuck his hand right in the trap like and i was like blown away i'm like uh are we going to the er like what is happening um so that's like a huge myth like they don't break bones um do those things sometimes happen yeah i'm not gonna lie sometimes those things happen but they happen if like the swivels on the traps are not working right or there's an entanglement that maybe the trapper didn't realize like the that the chain was that close to it you know that's when those things happen you know but that's in anything there's going to be accidents on a normal day that's not happening um, so when he stuck his hand in the trap, that was like a, a big wake up call to me because we didn't rush to the ER. You know, we pulled it off and he was fine and, and errors were working and, and moved along. So that was a that was a big thing for me. Um, and then when he was talking about, you know, as I was asking questions, he was telling me like, OK, so say we don't trap, say we don't do these things. Here's what Mother Nature does because we're not taking care of it. And that's a huge wake up call. You know, um, if you're if you're watching all the propaganda that's out there about, you know, oh, trappers do this and trappers do that, do yourself a service and and look into what starvation of animals looks like. Look into what the different diseases are, um, what a cruel death that really is, what overpopulation does. You know, that's a big thing. Right now, humans have taken over so much of the world really so much of the world and we have caused these animals to really be pigeonholed you know um so overpopulation and things that it doesn't take long for those things to happen you know um and that's a big thing you need to realize if you don't help manage the population because we help cause that problem if you do not do yourself a service and those animals a service with with managing the population mother nature will and Mother Nature is way crueler than any human can be, in in my opinion. I mean, I've, I've in it, well, at least any trapper could be. Yeah, Linda, I think I think most of our audience is probably pretty well versed in the ecological need for management of wildlife in general, and certainly predator management in you know, or just in general, fur bear removal in certain situations. I think I'd be really interested to hear after you know, after he stuck his hand in the trap and you all continued on the rest of that day, checking the rest of the line, what was the, I guess, what was the thing that day that made you feel like that was something you wanted to explore further? That it wasn't just something that you could accept, but I mean, you've, you've made a career out of it. <laughs> so there must've been something yeah. that kind of spoke to you on, you know, on another level. Can you talk about that? So have you ever have you ever talked to your child and, and yours obviously is, is pretty little, but I don't know if you have other kids or even just just a, a child in in general. And when they explain, you know, like a new toy or something that they got that excitement and you can feel that excitement. That is how he talked the entire day. Like you could tell that it wasn't something he was just reading off a script. It wasn't something that he just, you know, like, okay, yeah, we'll we'll talk about this. Like, there was definitely that light in him. 
you know, and and I'm, I'm going to tell you, like, it was contagious as far as I want to know why he has that, you know, like it wasn't so much like that contagious in the way like, oh, I, I now have this light, you know, it, it didn't happen like that. It's not even close. Um, but it kept me wanting to know why he does. You know what I mean? Like it was it was enough to be like, OK, well, I want to do this again because this day did not show me anything that were on those videos. You know, from from the beginning to the end, I didn't see anything that were on those videos. And that passion that he had was just like I said, it was contagious. So we kept going out and kept going out. And, and I got to see all these different things. Now, what really got that in me? So. When you when you trap an animal and the, and then even dispatching, it's a very personal relationship. You know, there's a lot of hunters out there that don't actually realize what happens when the animal is shot and they die because the animal runs off. You wait a couple minutes and then, you know, go out afterwards and you see the animal once it's dead. So you don't realize that process on what happens from whenever there's actually shot to to death. Um, but when you are, when you're trapping and you're up there, you see that. You also see the difference of what happens to an animal that, that maybe has mange. You know, if you come up on that animal, if they have rabies, if they have starvation, you know, you get to see all those things as well. So that's, and it's a very up close and personal experience. Like you are looking into that animal's eyes and you're realizing what's truly happening. Um, and I, and I think that that's something that you can't explain. It's something you have to actually be a part of. And you can, you can realize it's like, what is, what's going on, how you're, how you're a part of this. And then later on, like I got to see what, what happened even in our, in like our neighborhood, as far as, you know, our turkey population started coming back because we were trapping behind the house. We have a stream down the road, you know, the duck population. And I mean, that didn't happen over overnight, obviously. But when you put everything together and realize like your part in it all, it, it definitely like sparks in you. Um, but I have a, I have an actual like, moment and it's funny because a lot of people I, I mean i'm sure that any any outdoorsman or outdoors woman almost they can almost tell you that moment like either the first time they shot something or the first time that um you know they were on a hunt with their dad or something that kind of like sparked it in them and and mine was a coyote um we were we were trapping and it's actually my husband. He was he was the one who had set the trap. I was still just riding along and everything else. And we were trapping and it was a horrible, horrible rainstorm. Now, this is this is one of those things where, you know, things can go wrong. Um, and and I had been on the line a couple times with him, actually quite a few times. And we had, there was a horrible rainstorm be, um, the night before. And where the trap was, was kind of at the bottom of like a gully. I want to like how like a dip. And so the coyote was caught um, with him moving around and all the mud and all the rain and everything pulling right there. The trap had pulled out. 
Now, you know, everybody tries to anchor very well. We all go through our precautions and all of that. But, you know, every now and then that's that's something that happens. You know, it, it does. And that trap pulled out and my husband went up there and and you could tell, like, he felt bad about it. You know, like, crap. You know, now we have this coyote running around and, and he had a trap on him. Um, And that was that was disheartening to him you know that's not something that normally happens but can it yeah all there's always accidents that can happen um and being a woman we pay attention to detail more than than men do it's it's just a fact so i saw that that there was this this trail of mud that kind of went up into this brush and everything and i said to my husband well my boyfriend at the time why don't you look over there like, cause it was all bushy. It was all everything. And he did, he looked down under and that coyote was in there and it was caught. The, the wolf fang on the bottom of the trap was caught between two saplings. And the crazy thing about that is, is that that coyote had mange already. So that coyote was going to bring back disease to his pack and everything as well. If, if it already hadn't, um, but the whole, like, I had found that, you know, he would have, he would have left and and then the coyote wouldn't have been found until later on because he wouldn't have got out of there. But there was something in that whole experience that just like ignited in me. And I can't even tell you what, what it really was, but the fact that like there was so many different moving parts in there was like, I want to be a part of this more. I want to make sure that there's um, knowledge about, you know, hey, we need to maybe have longer anchors. We need to do this. We need to do that. You know, lamination on traps. Um, the the reason for trapping, um, the population control. You know, I I really it just ignited this this something in me that was like, I want to not only be a part of this, but want people to better understand what's happening. Yeah. It's so interesting the listening to you talk. It's just um, it seems like a huge motivator for you is is your curiosity. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just drop that and leave that there because uh, just wanting to get to know where that spark in your husband came from when it comes to trapping and then deepening when you wanted to figure out how what you were doing could be um, improved and what the overall impacts of it. It just seems like a real driving passion is curiosity. And that's something that I relate to and really appreciate. And it's cool to hear that come out in the story as you tell it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, um, I would, I would definitely agree. I've never been somebody who, um, I guess, takes things just at face value, you know, like I want to know, Really, what what are all the logistics behind it? Why is somebody doing something, whether it's good, bad, or or indifferent? You know, really, why why it is what it is, and and form my own opinions that way. I've I've never been one that just accepts, I guess, something for what someone tells me. Mm-hmm. Something else I hear in that story, or that I heard in that story, was a kind of a sense of independence, or like you had something to add, right? Like you brought value to that situation. It was better because you were a part of it. And I can, oh, yeah. I, I can identify with that. You know, if many times, especially when we first started hunting together, if I was out with my now husband, 
Um, and there was something that, you know, like, I'm not going to say he ever forgot to put the plug in the boat and I caught it <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that. But, um, you know, situations like that are, it makes you feel like you're, like you belong there, I think. And those, I think, can be pivotal yeah, experiences um, for people in the field. So it's funny because I I am very big on I do not take credit for anything that I did not personally do. So even if like um, for instance like we set a trap and my husband like resets for me like it then becomes his trap like to me in my head even though I've done all the work and he's literally just like recovering or something it, it now becomes his trap. So so um. I've not, I'm not big on ever taking credit for something that I didn't fully do, but I took credit for that coyote. Like, and that was the very first coyote. I tell everybody that was my first coyote. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because when I actually did go back and, and physically trap my first coyote, my husband was like super excited for me. And he looked at me and he's like, why are you not more excited about this? And I said, well, I've already trapped my first coyote. Mm -hmm. Like to me, it wasn't, I, I, cause that's still in my head is because he wouldn't have got that it would not have happened if it wasn't for me so yeah I fully agree I felt like I was part of something um and I could see the bigger picture at that time too so that even just it was even more exciting definitely Ashley go ahead otherwise I have other questions you go ahead you go ahead I'm gonna you go we'll do mid-break and then I'll go okay I was going to transition us though. Is that okay? Yeah. Mine's also a transition. Maybe okay. we're thinking the same thing. May <laughs> maybe. Go. I mean, <laughs> weirder things have happened. Um, I'm actually super curious about lures um, because we had a podcast a while back with um, Vanna Bacadori and she was one of the things that she had in her freezer was muskrat glands, which she trades. <laughs> And, and so when you mentioned that you do lures, I'm, can you like, I don't even begin to know what that means. And so what is, yeah, what does that mean? Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, to, to trap an animal, um, so I don't know if, if everybody listening actually knows like the whole process of this. So let's just do like a quick rundown of what the actual process is of trapping. So, um, you have this, you have this foothold. And we're gonna say um, it's a it's a Bridger two Douglas. So if anybody's wondering what that is, Google Bridger two Douglas, and you'll see what a foothold is. Okay, so um, you put this foothold in the ground, and now this this is just a small little area. So now unlike unlike hunting, where you've you've really can scour the whole woods and see you know like what's out there. You need to bring that animal to this tiny, tiny little area and have their foot put on this. And and it's always funny because I people will who are maybe not understanding what trapping is or against trapping, they're like, you know, oh well, why don't you do something that takes a little skill? Um, have you ever tried golfing? Because that's kind of what it is. You're getting this little hole, like this this little ball onto this hole. So same same idea. You're getting this animal into this this little trap, and to do that, you need something that's going to draw them in. Now, you are not going to draw an animal that is, like, miles and miles away. Like, it, I, I find that funny how there are some people who will tell me, you know, okay, I've got this coyote that's on my neighbor's property. How do I get the coyote? How do I catch the coyote 
that's on my neighbor's property. And my answer is always go ask your neighbor if you can trap their property because <laughs> you're not going to bring it to yours. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But if you do have a coyote, say, that is walking in that area, the bait and lure will play on its senses. So baits are normally something it wants to eat. Okay. So um, depending on what your target animal is, it could be, you know, a, a beaver meat. It could be even like um, something sweet, you know, raccoons like, like sweet things. Um, it, you know, it could be a, a whole bunch of different, different animal parts or whatnot put together, but it plays on their senses. That's a bait. Okay. Now you, you would use that in a, in a sense where the animal is hungry. Okay. You're going to play on the hunger there. Now, lures, on the other hand, you're luring that animal in. That's why it's called a lure. So you're going to bring them in, and you're going to play on a couple different senses there. Now, um, glands, for instance, say we're using um, coyote glands or red fox glands or something like that, normally are very, very good around breeding season. So you're pulling them in, you know, because you want that that coyote or, or fox or whatever to, to smell that gland and they want to come in and see, hey, you know, was there another coyote? Was there another fox? You know, you don't need to do it just during breeding season, but that's a that's something that you're playing on. Um, other lures have a curiosity. It plays on their curiosity sense. They want to like dig there. They want to see if there's something there that's pulling them. And that's another, that's another type of lure that you have. And so you have these baits and lures and you're using them in different ways. Some are, are a smear like cats like bobcats like to rub you know so they'll they'll like kind of put it on a rock and it's a smear where they would then put the trap at the base of the rock and the the bobcat would walk and kind of like rub against it and that's how they would they would trap it um some like i said bait floors where you would play on the the coyote where he thinks maybe there's an animal down in a hole so you would use like a dirt hole like a bigger hole and you would play on like they want to like dig it up. They want to dig to that hole kind of thing um, or they want to eat it, you know. Um, so that's what baits and lures are. And, yeah, she was probably either selling those muskrat glands to a, to a bait and lure maker or using them herself if, if she did trap. That's so interesting. And thank you for going into that because I do appreciate, um, you know, I, I know one of the things that I enjoy most about hunting is the depth of knowledge that you have to have about the species in order to be successful. Um, and so it's cool to hear how, how baits and lures um, used for trapping connect to that just deep understanding of animal behavior. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, it's, it's like, it's like golfing It's you're trying to get this animal to step in this very specific spot. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I second that. Mm -hmm. the The idea of knowing a species intimately, intimately enough to be successful in, you know, either hunting them or trapping them, I feel like that right there is something that makes me. I have a lot of esteem for trappers. I would love to be a trapper. It's mostly the time commitment that keeps me from exploring it. Um, but I feel like you know a lot of hunters identify themselves as a deer hunter or a turkey hunter or an upland bird hunter and you know, rarely do they talk about two species that they're really devote a lot of time to. And it strikes me that as a trapper, you kind of have to have a, a really broad swath of knowledge about a lot of different animals. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and there are there are people who provide or um would call themselves, you know, like a coyote trapper or a bobcat trapper, you know, and that is their target animal. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So when you're when you're trapping, um, I think it's funny how I'm gonna touch back here really quick, but um, you had said, you know, I'd love to be a trapper, but I don't have the time. I don't think people realize what is actually involved because you're you're correct. You know, unlike hunters who who would go out, you know, say this weekend, you're like, hey, I have a couple hours. I'm gonna go sit in a tree stand or I'm gonna go walk through the back of the property or something. Trappers are a very committed group because you check those traps every day, whether it's raining, whether it's snowing, whether it's anything. Like they need to be checked every day. They need the animal needs to be taken care of every day. And you know, upon dispatch of an animal, you know, there's there's a clock there. So you need to make sure that you're able to skin the animal, you know, process any kind of meats or anything that you're you're taking out or glands and and then decide what are you doing with the pelt and everything. So it definitely is time consuming. So I appreciate the fact that you realize that, you know, um, there's so many people I think out there that that don't. So um, I uh, I went I went on a tangent there with that. Now I totally forgot what your question was. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, you're good. I didn't ask a question. I just kind of proffered something and you took it nicely and ran with it. I think um, this is a good, this is a good stopping point. So let's take just a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Another elk and deer test positive for CWD in Idaho. CWD detected for the first time in Alabama. The CWD Research and Management Act sails through passage in the House. There's no doubt CWD is in the news and there's no doubt it's spreading across the country. There's also no doubt it's a complicated disease and a complicated issue. Artemis and NWF Outdoors are here to help. Check out the CWD Chronicles, where we talk to leading experts about the latest science, policy, and hopes for the future regarding chronic wasting disease. Find it on the NWF Outdoors channels or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And we were, before the break, we were just talking about the time investment that trapping requires and um, why that makes it an unattainable pastime for me currently. But I do still think about it a lot. And actually just this morning, I was thinking about recording this podcast with you, Linda, later today, and I was on a walk with my daughter. There's like this big gravel pile on this road that we walk on that, I don't know, I guess the highway department dumped it there months ago, and for whatever reason, they haven't spread it out. We walked by this morning, and I looked over to my left as we walked past it, and on the tippy top of it, there's this nice, neat little scat, and I saw it, and I thought, it was obviously fresh. It was obviously something had, you know, used it as a to mark that spot, and I thought, who was that? Was that a fox? Was that a coyote? It looks bigger than a fox. And I went through this, you know, mental gymnastics of trying to remember way back in undergrad when I could identify scat <laughs> to that degree of specificity. And I can't anymore. And I feel like it got me thinking about the level of, I, I guess you have to use the word woodsmanship that's required to be a successful trapper. Maybe we could also use the word woodswomanship. I'm not sure how you... <laughs> 
talk about that, Linda, but um, can you can you speak to that a little bit and kind of, I mean, I know you spent a lot of time out on lines with your husband, and I assume that's where a lot of your knowledge, base knowledge anyway, came from, but can you talk about how much knowledge you have today compared to like before you began and when you just started and how you acquired it? Yeah, so... Um... <laughs> Well, uh, I had pretty much no knowledge. <laughs> We're going to go <laughs> with that. Um, never even like realized, you know, that the difference between like a dog track and a coyote track, like things like that to where now, um, you know, I can, I can really pick up on those things and, and like people don't even realize, you know, even like, like your regular canine, your, your household canine compared to like a coyote, they just think, well, you know, they're, they're probably the same same track well you know coyotes their their paws are a little closer together and and things like that so there's definitely some differences but um how did I how did I get to this well so my husband did teach me a lot of things um my husband is is not a patient person <laughs> um we'll we'll say he's he he loves he loves the fact that I am where I am he is super supportive. Um, you probably will not find a more supportive person, but, um, he is very like, like he's been doing this since he was nine. So like to him, it was, well, let's just do this and move on. And as a woman, you know, I do things a little differently. So like even how I, how I put my trap in the ground, all of that, I, it, it came a little harder for him to, to relate with things. So when he was teaching me certain things, some were very easy, some were not so easy. And, and I could recognize that and I value my relationship. So I would not push certain issues. Wise. Um, you know, I need to, I need to wisen up myself. <laughs> so, so, but there, there is, there is a lot of knowledge that is out there that is, is really at your fingertips if you want it. Um, trappers, it's, it's funny because a long, long time ago, you know, um, I've heard from from other trappers that, you know, trappers didn't want to tell anybody anything. You know, they fur at that time was, you know, skyrocketing. I mean, you could you could make more off of trapping three months out of the year during the season than you could working a full time job. I mean, the fur market was crazy. No one wanted to tell anybody anything like secrets. Everything was hush hush. So. Um, these days though, it's really nice because you've got like Facebook groups, you've got YouTube, you've got all these different things that are out there that allow you to, to, to have more knowledge. We'll say now, obviously everything that's on the internet, not everything is, is accurate. Um, but, but it gives you a starting point. So for me, instead of just asking my husband on everything, I connected with a lot of other trappers that were out there that I had maybe seen pictures, um, you know, of, of stuff that they posted and just started asking questions. Um, that was a big thing for me, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of a pushy person. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little bit pushy. So um, I started also like, well, hey, can I come over and see what you're doing? Oh, hey, can I... Can I, um, we're going to be in the area. Can I ride along on your line with you? Can I do this? Can I do that? Like kind of almost inviting myself. And, and it's, it's funny because I use the whole gender thing 
to my advantage because a lot of I, I hate to say it like this, but a lot of people, um, women are 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 growing in the outdoors, and so they want to keep that going. You know, where I feel like if I was a guy, they probably would have been like, "Dude, go somewhere else." But being a woman, asking, they were like, "Okay, cool." You know, hey, like she wants to get involved. That's neat. You know, so um, I use that kind of to my advantage, and um, I, I also took into the 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 fact that. We went to a lot of conventions with the bait and lure business because my my husband had been making bait and lure for years and years and years. Um, and then whenever he met me, we decided later on to to go into a commercial, you know, um, out to the public and everything. So we would go to all these different conventions and I would slip away and watch some of these demos. You know, um, obviously they don't give out all their secrets at demos, but I would I would start taking little things that I had learned in demos and applying it to my own line. And if you pay attention, the animal will tell you so many things like, and that's, that's um kind of playing back to where you said, you know, it, it's important to know the animal that you're trapping and it. And it really is, you know, um, where coyotes and, and um, like Fox, different canines, they, they really go more on, you know, like your, your sense of smells and things like that. And, um, you're going to have like bobcats who, who are more on sight, you know, like that they, they are more of a visual they're, they're hunting with sight, not so much their smell, you know, and those things are important to know, you know, what, what exactly are you, are you targeting what, you know, different baits and lures to use for what you're targeting. Um, and, and that was something that I, I would make little mental notes on. And then so whenever I would come back to a set, you know, um, you'd look and you'd be like, okay, there's nothing there. Well, there may not be anything there and you could just walk away. But sometimes as a trapper, it's really important to say, okay, that's not there, but what is there that maybe wasn't, you know, is there a, is there a track? Is there, um, you know, scat that's there? Is there anything leading up to that? You know, like you have to look at those things, pay attention to, to what's happening in the area, you know, and, and snow, it's funny because I live in New York. So snow is, is a, uh, is a, is a huge teller of, of all things. And it can be very frustrating and it can be very neat um, because it can tell you, you know, did you have an animal that came in? And then sometimes you can say, yeah, I had an animal that came in that walked all the way around my set, peed next to it and then kept going. And <laughs> that can be very frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But you learn a lot of things. And I think that's important, you know, to if you're going to be a trapper, not to just stick something in the ground, walk up, say, ah, nothing was there and walk away. You know, take that that two or three minutes and look around and say, hey, is anything different? Yeah. And if so, why? Yeah, that's I really love, cool. I love. That is so cool. It's. I love, okay, I live in East Tennessee. We moved up onto what they call the plateau, the Cumberland Plateau, um, gosh, back in October. And so we get more snow here than we did where we lived previously. I think it's, we got probably four, maybe five good snows that stuck around for more than a day. Marsha's like laughing at me in Montana. Um, She's crying, actually. (laughs) Which 
anytime <laughs> that it did, I was so excited to get outside and look at the story in the snow. And, you know, my, my husband and I would just walk around and we would be like, oh my gosh, look, there's small mammal tracks here. It looks like, you know, maybe a squirrel or maybe something even smaller. And then there's the wing beat of an owl imprinted in the snow and there's no more tracks, you oh, know, wow. and it's like, yeah. And it's just so cool to see the story written in snow like that. And I, I love walking and anytime there's anything impressionable, you know, if it's mud, like even just the side of the road, if there's gravel where a lot of the rocks are missing or been moved away, you can read so much in the ground there. And I'm obsessed with that. I, I need to become a trapper. I do. Um, there's a really yeah. great book for Charlie that you need to get. Um, and I will look back and see if I can remember the name of it, but it, it, it is just that it's like this children's book that tells a story through the tracks and you try and figure out what, what the narrative of the morning was. Um, is it for Charlie or for me? Because it's for Charlie. <laughs> I want to read that book. <laughs> it's the one you won't mind reading a million times in a row. Yes. That's important. Yep. Love that. Okay. Linda. Wow. Okay. So you've demonstrated a lot of this really, really interesting knowledge that you have and how you came about it, which I love that level of sneaking away at conventions and being like, where can I glean secrets? And also, I mean, I guess the word you could use is imposing yourself on people, but it sounds like they were happy to have you for the most part and share their knowledge. Um, so really impressive how much of a go-getter you were at, out of all of this. I think probably the level you've reached in your career reflects that um, level of effort. Can we talk for a little bit about, you had mentioned fur prices, uh, the economics of trapping. I know when I was an undergrad, I took a trapping course and the guy that was teaching it was pretty much like, listen, you might break even every now and then, like every couple of years, but you're not going to make money trapping. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, that's a definite truth in it. If you are doing this to make money in it, um, then you need to go in like the nuisance side of things where they were going to pay you to trap because um, your your basic recreational trapper is is me like he said maybe breaking even um, fur prices are almost non-existent especially with like COVID really kind of did a number on that I mean they were already pretty low um, and the reason for that is is because you know um, Antis are really good at being very loud. Um, that that's something that they're they're really good. Whether it, they're what they're they're spewing is true or not, they're really good at being loud and and kind of obnoxious. I feel so. Um, people listen to that and and they want the the loudness to stop. So they put in in different laws and in different states where you know they'll ban trapping or they'll ban this and let's make it harder for the individual and and all that stuff, um, which can can definitely reflect on big businesses you know um for instance like canadian goose uh they used to have on their coats were um lined with coyote fur real coyote fur um you know and i and i think it's it's funny because i applaud them for doing this because you know you have all those liberals that are out there that say you know oh we need to we need to, um, you know, be green and we need to make sure that we're not, you know, leaving these big carbon footprints. So what's the best thing to do? Use natural resources, which would be coyote fur instead of your fake fur. Um, Wait, but, can, but you sorry, I'm, can you back up? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. 
You yeah. said Canadian Goose, and my mind read knee-jerk reaction. I was like, it's Canada Goose, but you're talking about a company, oh. right? Yeah, 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 it is It is Canada Goose. You're right. Sorry, I, sorry that was me misspeaking. But yeah, no. so they are a company. Um, no, it, it um, could be Canadian but, Goose. I don't know. I was talking about the species of bird. That's, that's what I thought of when you said oh, that. Oh, yeah, 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 no, no, no. Yeah, but it's actually, a company it's, that makes um, jackets? Yeah, so they make these down jackets. They make these these beautiful like um, like thousand dollar down jackets. Okay, so they they take the 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 jacket. They you know obviously stuff the jacket with the goose feathers and everything like that. And then um, on the lining on the outside, you know how like you see all those um, those jackets that are out there that have like the the fake fur around it. Well, they use real fur. They use um, coyote fur. So that was awesome. Well, you've got all these antis that are are complaining about this. So now they're they're recycling that fur off of old jackets, which that's cool too. You know, like use and recycle. That's that's neat. But so now that took another market away to sell to overseas. The 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 Chinese, Russia, they are big fur industry. Um, and whenever we had COVID hits, you know, there was no shipping. There was no exporting out to these these different countries. Um, and then whenever you could, you would ship these big, huge um, shipping containers full of fur and they would test it. And if there was any COVID anywhere in the shipping container, they would burn all the fur. So oh my gosh. That kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was absolutely ridiculous. Oh. Uh, so that kind of killed the fur market even more than it, than it already was. Um, and then now we have a war going on, you know, so there's there's even more that we're not shipping and exporting to. So right now the fur market is is nothing. Um, you know, you still have a hatter market for beavers and and certain glands, you know, byproducts are still there's still a market because there are animals that need to be trapped. You know, it's 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 funny because I laugh at these states that ban trapping, like we're going to say California, for instance, you know, they ban trapping. They have a huge coyote population out there that is is a huge problem. They have a huge beaver problem. The day that they signed the whole bill to ban trapping, they also right afterwards paid $10 million to get rid of their beaver problem that's out there. Where prior to that, they were having an income from trappers paying to get their license you know, and, and all of that stuff, they were getting that, that income. And, and so, so I always think it's always funny because these states that they want to ban this stuff, they're not really banning it. I mean, they're, they're banning it as far as like that the public is not able to do it, but they're still allowing it to happen. They're just not paying for it, you know? So these things like lures, baits and lures, they still need to happen. So now the, the byproduct of the animal, because you don't have as many trappers that are out there, you know, that those costs go up. So, you know, there's still definitely uses for, for trapping. You know, you can still make money that way. But if you're doing it just to, to make money off the fur, you're, you're not going to. Especially with, like, gas prices the way they are. You know, the, the trap, uh, if you buy a dozen traps, say a dozen footholds, you know, you're looking at at least, like, roughly about $100, $150, $200, depending on the type of trap that you buy. 
you know, so there's definitely expenses, basics and lures, unless you're making something yourself, you know, you're, you're buying that you need to take care of the trap. So any kind of like wax dyes, paints, anything like that, that you're using, you know, and, and like I said, you know, there's, there's the gas, the fuel costs, uh, maintenance on your truck, all that. So yeah, you're definitely, unless you're being paid for it, you're, you're definitely at this point, not making out. Um, I have a lot of people who ask me, you know, like, well, um, what do you think the effects of that are, you know, with prices being the fact that that most trappers really aren't even making up what they're what they're doing. Um, I have a lot of people who ask me, what, are, what do you think the effects of that are? And so the effects of that are a lot of people don't realize this, but as the fur prices fluctuate. And you can look over over the last 10, 20 years. When the fur prices are low, the year or two afterwards, that's whenever your um, waterfowl number, like the bag limits and stuff, that's when they all change. Because now you have those nest raiders and everything running havoc on those birds. You'll you'll see that those effects actually happen through other wildlife. And that's what happens, you know, whenever those fur prices. So when those fur prices fluctuate and you don't have as many trappers and you don't have as many uh, people out there because you're right, you know, a lot of people, if you do break even, that's great. But some people, especially in this day and age, you know, with COVID and everything, they can't afford to be trapping or at least trapping the way they were. So you have those effects, you know, through different streams of, of wildlife. Why don't you tell us about, I, I loved when you talked earlier, when you spoke earlier about that pivotal moment of the coyote with mange that was able to pull the trap up. Can you tell us about another moment? Maybe if you have a favorite moment, most people are like, I don't have an absolute favorite, you know, <laughs> and I'm just one of the good ones. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my, my favorite moment, um, is more of a, uh, show you what a mess I am. Um, <laughs> Those right? are my favorite moments what, too. <laughs> so, so I have people who will follow me on Facebook and everything. And they're always like, well, you know, oh, I'd love to go trapping with you. It, it's, it's so amazing and so on and everything. And, and I always think back to this, this time where my husband and I were out together and um, it was snowing it was awful and anytime we go into to a place you know he sets one area I set another and it, it kind of you know speeds things up and, and we move on and so he was he was setting um this one side of the bridge and I was setting the other and I got done and I came over and I slid down the bridge like fell down it right next to his set now if you know anything about trapping people are there's there's a ton of people out there who are going to tell you like, and, and it's the same thing, you know, with hunting, you know, you, you do less scent as possible. You know, you don't want your scent all over the place. So I fell down right next to his, um, his trap. And because I am the person that I am, instead of like hurrying up and get up and everything, I made a snow angel. <laughs> so my husband was freaking out, like legit, just losing it. Now, you know, going back to the fact that he has his way of doing things in this this thought process <laughs> didn't, didn't involve snow angels making this yeah i'm hearing i'm making this snow angel next to his set and everything 
So my favorite part of this is like two days later, he caught a red fox there. Um, so and that's, <laughs> no angels that's for the wind. Like, yeah, exactly. So you know when people are like, oh, you know, scent is so much and so important in this and that and everything else. You know, I'm not saying that scent isn't important, but also, you know, we were on a farm where there's scent everywhere. You know, like your your farmers don't care if they're leaving scent behind. They've got they've got a job to do. So I just I always think about that. You know, anytime that anybody ever says like, oh, you know, it, it must be so interesting to go trapping with you and everything like that, because I am a hot mess. Um, I am I am exactly what needs to be shown whenever you say anybody can do this because literally anybody can do this. I'm super weak. I'm not a, a very strong person. Um, you know, I've, I've come up with a lot of different tools and techniques to make sure that, that I can do this all on my own, you know, as far as like, I've got a, a jet sled so that I can carry the animals out anywhere. I have setters. Um, I spray paint my traps pink so that I can see them in a distance with binoculars and all that if they pop up. Like there's a lot of little little tips and tricks that I've learned, but I've really been able to show, you know, anybody can do this. So I think it's important for anybody to know that. Like you don't have to be this big burly mountain man that you think of, you know, to trap. Love that. Mm-hmm. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Marsha, is there anything you want to add before we wrap? I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and as per usual, I have a hundred more questions, but we'll just save those for next time. Thank you so yes. much. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. And and Th- anybody can reach out to me. So if anybody has any questions, like you can you can look at me on Facebook, um, Instagram, um, message me, whatever. Um, so if if you have more questions or somebody else does, um, I'm I'm a very open book. I'm very um, approachable. I I pride myself on that. You know, if you're ever at a a convention, please stop by and and talk to me if you have any questions. Um, I don't want anybody to listen to this podcast or ever listen to anything else and have questions and be afraid to ask and that keep them from trapping. Absolutely. We we will link to all of your socials in the show notes so folks can can find you and continue the conversation. Thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week and until next time, be bold, stay curious and get outside. <laughs>